Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know what they say. There are two types of people in this world, those who divide the world into two types of people and those who don't. But it is kind of fun to see the two types of people that folks divide the world into. I was browsing the internet, that great font of wisdom, to see how one could divide the world into two camps, two types. The internet always wins. <laughs> the creativity on there is fantastic. There are those people who answer all their text messages. And then there are those who have like, say, 71 unread messages. Which type are you? There are those who drink their OJ with pulp, and there are those who are very much in the non-pulp crowd. I'm a pulper. Some like drumsticks when they eat buffalo wings. Others devour the wings first. I love the drumsticks. Some eat all of their pizza. Others leave the crust scattered all over the pizza box. But let's be honest, how could you not like pizza crust? Am I right or am I right? Are you the type of person who squeezes all the toothpaste out of the tube by folding it up neatly from the back of the toothpaste tube to the front? Or do you just squeeze the fat section of the toothpaste and just keep squeezing it day after day until the tube looks like a mushed up little ball? I'm definitely in the latter camp. <laughs> crunchy or smooth peanut butter? My former roommate was all about the crunchy peanut butter. And I'm like, no, no, no. Smooth peanut butter all the way. Then there's that great discovery you make when you visit a friend's house. Is the toilet paper set up so it unrolls from the top or from the bottom? Hmm. The truly great questions of life. <laughs> but you know, this two types of person model fits me as well. No, I'm not claiming some form of divided personality. I'm talking about how we change over time. The type of person we were when we were younger is not necessarily the type of person we are now <clears throat> or the type of person that we are aspiring to be. Have you ever had that feeling? Growing up, I was the ultimate doer. I was someone who got things done. I woke up, <clears throat> I worked, I went to bed. This was especially true when I was in high school. My high school was one of those places that kept you going all day long. It was class, then sports, then, then other extracurriculars, then home, then homework. I was good at it. You know, a doer. Doers are great folks to have around. They say if you want something done, you should give it to a busy person. In my experience, that could not be more true. Doers are great people to have in church especially a church like FCC, which is so good at having endless things to do. I mean, have you seen how many board positions we need filled each year? By the way, we might have extra space for you if you feel that nudge of God calling you to serve. <laughs> I'm always a man on a mission. See what I mean? But an odd thing has happened to me over the years. Maybe it's happened to you too. I seem less and less enamored with being that type of person. I'm less focused on being a doer these days. It's hard to put my finger on when this started to happen. I guess it began in college. 
In high school, I had everything planned out for me. I went from one class to another. My extracurriculars were all planned out. My school was small, so <clears throat> my friend group was easy to find. Frankly, I didn't have to think much in high school. I was a doer, that type of guy. All of a sudden in college, I had to think what I wanted to do. I had to pick classes, a major, my friend group, my social time, my extracurriculars. I'll be honest, I found myself a bit lost. I muddled through and tried to put my life into a schema that made sense. I wanted to be a doer again, but a change had started to happen. I had to spend more time on myself. As much as I didn't want to do it, I had to think more about who I was and what I wanted. For a hardwired doer, that can be tough. The more time that's passed, the more I've continued to struggle with this. My instinct is to throw myself into tasks, make a schedule, keep busy. But there are those times when I am left wondering, is that really the type of person that I want to be? Last year, Brian Beard sent me a page from a book by Thomas Merton, the famous 20th century Roman Catholic spiritual writer. This passage struck me so much that I shared it with the staff and staff meeting, and it's certainly relevant for us at FCC. This is what Merton wrote. We have admitted that it's possible to live in a deep and peaceful solitude even amidst the, amidst the world and its confusion. But this truth is sometimes abused in religion. There are those dedicated to God whose lives are full of restlessness and who have no real desire to be alone. In practice, their lives are devoured by activities and strangled with attachments. Interior solitude is impossible for them. They fear it. They do everything they can to escape it. What is worse, they try to draw everyone else into activities as senseless, as senseless and devouring as their own. They are great promoters of useless work. They love to organize meetings and banquets and conferences and lectures. They print circulars, write letters, talk for hours on the telephone in order that they may gather a hundred people together in a large room where they all fill the air with smoke and make a great deal of noise and roar at one another and clap their hands and stagger home at last, patting one another on the back with the assurance that they have done all great things to spread the kingdom of God. I read that passage and I could see myself in it. I don't mean that in a self-judgmental way, but more in a revelatory way. All too often, that is me, the person who's obsessed with filling time, making appointments and to-do lists, finding that next mountain to climb in church and elsewhere. I'm the one who loves meetings <laughs> so we can bring about the kingdom of God, just like Merton says. But how much is my focus on work, on tasks, on being busy, a way to avoid deep contemplation and thought and silence? Is my busyness, at least in part, a way to get a pat on the back rather than in pursuit of something deeper? Do you know what I mean? I'm guessing you probably do. Thomas Merton is clear that there is another way, another type of person you can be. Rather than someone who is obsessively busy, you can be someone who takes time to contemplate, to be alone, 
to be quiet, to do nothing, and in doing nothing, actually find yourself closer to God. This makes me think about how much I've been enjoying reading through Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Brene Brown writes eloquently about her own personal journey from being the type of person who keeps busy all the time to earn the approval of those around her to the type of person who lives a wholehearted life. She lists what she calls 10 guideposts to accepting herself and her own unique gifts. 10 things that she returns to constantly to help her in her own journey to more thoughtfulness and more enjoyment of life as it is. She seeks to cultivate authenticity, self-compassion, a resilient spirit, gratitude and joy, intuition, creativity, play and rest, calm and stillness, meaningful work, and laughter. She wants to find herself being a different type of person. I can't help but think while reading through her book, can I have that too? Have I been missing something because of the way I was trained as an adolescent? One of the things I love about preaching is the opportunity to look closely, once again, at various biblical texts. I have the chance to sit with these texts, to read them over and over again, and to listen, to really listen to what the text might be telling me today, to what God might be telling me through these ancient words. In our text for this morning, Jesus looks at two types of people. The passage is often labeled as the wise and foolish maidens, but that's not a very good translation for the words that we have here. One group Jesus labels as the foolish, the mori in Greek, but the other group is called the phronomoi. Labeling them wise is, again, not a great translation because the Greek word for wise is sophos. Phroneo, the word we have here, literally means to give careful consideration to something or to develop an attitude based on careful thought. This is a passage about those who are foolish, those who don't think deeply about things, those who plunge forward, and those who are thoughtful, those who take stock. Jesus wants us to be thoughtful, reflective. The context is a great wedding celebration. Anyone who has been involved in planning a wedding knows how frenetic it can be. Oh, a wedding. There are a million things to do. You rush from one thing to another. There are always those who, when they show up to a wedding, want to jump right to the partying. They grab what they can frantically and have their eyes set on the dancing. They are busy. They packed in a hurry, tossing everything they might need into their suitcase. They go from one thing to another, barely pausing to ask any deeper questions. Then there are those who realize that weddings are crazy. They realize that things during a wedding almost never go quite as planned. They can take a step back from the craziness and smile every once in a while at the small things that go wrong. These are the thoughtful people. The people who remember to pack extra oil because inevitably things will be delayed. They're not in a rush. They're not focused on getting things done because they don't want to miss the important things. Because that's just what happens here in the text. When the bridegroom is delayed, delayed for hours, when the oil is running short, these thoughtful maidens are ready to enjoy the most important things in life. 
they're welcome to the wedding feast. It's long been noted that this text talks about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says as much at the beginning of the passage. There's been a tendency to see this passage solely as a statement on some radical apocalyptic future when Jesus returns on the clouds. But what if that's not the case? What if the kingdom of God really is within us, as Jesus says in Luke? What if the kingdom is, in fact, already dawning, as Jesus himself says many times? What if the kingdom of heaven is here, and we need eyes to see it? If that's the case, this passage becomes all about our ability to live into that kingdom in the here and now. It's a passage for you and for me as we live our lives. Jesus talks about how the door to the feast is closed for those who are the foolish type. In an apocalyptic context, this seems overly harsh, as though the kingdom of heaven will be closed off forever to those who are foolish. But in the context in which the kingdom of heaven is here, all around us now, the closed door is not final, and it's anything but harsh. There are two types of people in this world. Those who are foolishly busy, running around from one thing to the next, and those who are reflective on life and its ups and downs. What type are you? Not what type are you for all times and all places, but what type do you, what type do you want to be? What type do you aspire to be? High school John or Brene Brown? The final line of our passage for today opens with the word Grigorite. It's where we get the common first name Gregory from. Gregorite means be watchful, be aware, and also be fully alive. This past week, in the growth group that I'm leading, we read a piece by the spiritual writer Deepak Chopra. In that piece, Chopra argues that the key to the spiritual life is having a deeper knowledge of the world as it is, to be fully aware. Experiences of God are all around us. We too often discount those experiences and miss the opportunity to live more fully, more in touch with God. We distract ourselves getting stuff done rather than being truly thoughtful. Chopra writes that the first step in the spiritual life is belief, being open to the reality of God around us. The next step is what he calls faith, actually putting faith in those experiences of God so they can structure our lives. The final step, the hardest step, is knowledge, coming to a deeper awareness of life as it really is, of God as God really is. And with that knowledge, we discover the kingdom of heaven. That is a lifelong journey, an ongoing task. But you have to start somewhere. You have to begin by wanting a change, by slowing down, by being more reflective of the world around you. As I considered Chopra's point, I couldn't help but see the last line in our text a little bit differently. Be awake, therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour. Be awake. Be aware. Be fully alive. Which type of person are you? Which type of person do you want to be?